Hi, everyone, and welcome to Human Centered. I'm Nick Brunker, a group director of experience strategy at VMLYNR and your host for the show. Thanks for giving us a listen. We talk a lot about on the show how CX pros can help deliver a connected customer journey. Great brand promises paid off by awesome experiences stitched together with creative and inspiring commerce capabilities. And the brands that are winning are able to deliver on all of these things while keeping people at the center. But it's no doubt an ever-changing, tricky thing to deliver on at scale. Technology advancements are having a growing impact on customer behaviors and how business gets done. Our guest today is focused, among many things, on tackling this challenge for some of the most recognizable and beloved brands in the world. I am so excited and thankful to welcome in the head of global commerce at General Mills, Jay Piccinato. Jay, welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Nick. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. And then thank you for taking the time to to be with us. And as we get going, I'd love uh, for you to tell us a bit about yourself on your day-to-day work at General Mills. Love it. So, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, I kind of lead our global commerce team here. Uh, I've actually been at General Mills for 23 years. So this is this is home. I've made my, my career here and I have really uh, been, been blessed to be here as long as I have. But uh, essentially what our team really strives to work on now is really building commerce capabilities and uh, extending those around our globe. So how do we really fast track our e-commerce and our connected commerce business uh, with with tools, processes, talent uh, really for, for the enterprise? And you talk about connected commerce, and that that is something that I think at VML YNR and uh, VML YNR Commerce that we we obviously talk a lot about often as well. Tell us what that means to to you and what it means for your team. Yeah, for us, you know, we we start with kind of e-commerce, and then the next iteration after that is sort of this world of omni-channel, and then really the next iteration after that is the world of what we describe as as connected commerce, and it's really taking online and offline, not just retail environments, but online and offline environments really drive purchase of our products. And Kelly, how I like to talk about it is really deeply understanding consumer journeys and now realizing the fact that A, those journeys aren't linear and B, every part of that journey shoppable. And so if we have a deep understanding of how consumers interact with digital sphere, right? And then we understand that every touch point they're interacting, we want to be able to drive conversion or ultimately have that experience be somewhat shoppable or link into a cart. That's what we're describing as, as we talk about connected commerce. And we mentioned off the top, it is a really delicate balance of being able to, you know, meet them in those moments at the right moments. And certainly technology, I would imagine, has, has helped um, and also made things more complicated as it relates to understanding the journey, understanding where they are, finding out that that it may not be linear, while also being able to pay off what we talk about a lot on this show is, is customers' overwhelming awareness of the way that brands interact with them or vice versa. Quite honestly, you know, customers choose us, not the other way around. And and so when we think about building brands through purpose and still being able to be as beloved as some of your brands at General Mills are, well, trying to also innovate and still be personalized and, and relevant, that that's very tricky. Talk about how you guys attack the the brand purpose of it. And, and as technology is advanced, how you, you kind of stay true to the core of being a brand and, and a series of brands that the customers love and choose. Yeah, well, to your point, the convergence of technology right now does allow for different types of engagement. And that doesn't mean non to your really point of your podcast, right? Not not non-human engagement, but just different ways to interact with brands and different ways for brands then to ultimately interact with consumers. And it, it really still allows us to bring purpose into our work. It still allows us to make sure that we are rooted in what a brand stands for, but it just provides different modes of connection. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the one of the key tricks 
is that the experiences people have now, the expectation for brands is the expectation of that experience, not necessarily the normal competitive set or the normal expectation for a brand. And so you look at something like uh, our Box Ops for Education platform. This is an app on your phone that needs to hold up like Uber. Mm -hmm. This this isn't an app on your phone that needs to hold up like Campbell Soup Labels, right? It's something (laughs) completely different now. And so the expectation consumers have for dealing with with brands and the way brands interact with them are their latest best experience and that's that's where it gets really tricky for traditional cpg brands to to show up because we have to show up with the intent and with the experience and with the purpose that's driven behind some of these just powerhouse technology brands but i think to your your question it really starts with just making sure you are honest with your brand's brand's purpose. What do you stand for? What are you trying to contribute in the world? And it has to be at that lofty stage for a business. Otherwise, otherwise you just find yourself kind of being a little bit, you know, a little bit meaningless. I use, I use a box stops example. Again, they're really about providing education and education resources to every kid that needs it the most. That's what they want to do. That's what the brand is existing for. And so when you start with something like that, what you're going to then show up in the world, how you're going to go do that, what actions you're going to take starts from a pretty good spot for you to really live that purpose. And then you start to use technologies, app on your phone, whatever, to really connect the dots in a, in a seamless way now with a modern digital consumer. It's fascinating. And I'd love to stick on the box tops for education piece for a second, because that that's a great example about how, I mean, that program's been around a long time, but technology and obviously the expectations and engaging with that technology has changed uh, drastically even you know you talk about the last five or six years as customers have become you know certainly much more um, inclined to purchase digitally and you know have groceries delivered and that sort of thing I'd love to and we'll come back to the whole covid impact on on how you guys have done business in a minute but but box tops has been such an interesting dichotomy of staying true to the purpose but also realizing okay, Consumers are using and shopping our products in a different way. How can we meet meet them in those moments? Could you tell us a little bit about how you adapted to a, a much more digitally focused world when, you know, previously, as as the name would imply, box tops were quite literally cut out of the box top. So t- yeah. talk to me about that transformation. Well, you know, so this is still relatively recent in our history. It's just a couple of years ago. But uh, Box Tops was a 25-year-old program that fundamentally hadn't changed in the first 24 years of existence. You cut off something off the top of the box. You piled it all together. You mailed it in. You had uh, a wonderful coordinator network around the around the country that are really passionate about their individual school. And they'd collect these things. They'd clean them up. They'd mail them into us. And then... Uh, General Mills cuts checks to that individual school. And it's, it's a wonderful program. Like I said, 25 years old, we're just shy of a billion dollars. One billion. That's wow. enormous. And we're really proud of that fact that uh, we're just shy of a billion dollars in donation to schools. But but consumers are not in the mind space in 2023 of clipping out the top of their box, putting it in little Ziploc bags, and then having uh, their, their coordinator mail it in. That's just, that's just not the way we, we go to market. And so uh, really the opportunity here was to provide – a much more digitally fueled way for consumers to continuously engage with this this brand, right? You know, you kind of think about the box, you cut it off once, you forget about that box of cereal until you get your next box two weeks later. This is a way, it's a digital property that allows us to send message, talk about their school, celebrate teachers, celebrate what their school's uh, donation is going towards, celebrate what uh, really this consumer has been able to do over the lifetime of their donation, right? It allows for an interaction with them on a much more real-time basis uh, 
in a, in a way that they're used to now dealing with with products, right? They are used to scanning receipts. They are used mm-hmm. to dApps on their phone. They're used to this. And candidly, consumers today are not used to cutting stuff off the top of the cereal <laughs> box and filling it in. So it was really a nice win for us to be able to say, we're going to modernize how you engage with this brand. It's going to allow, as I said, new ways to have different brand experiences. It allows us to bring different types of communication. Yes, we always had the traditional box, uh, the real estate on the back of the cereal box, but now I have I have a way to communicate with consumers all those wonderful things that this program is able to do and celebrate what they are doing for this program. And it just has built a connection that's just different and much more personal than it would have been through a 20 million cereal boxes. And like you said, it's all rooted back in the same purpose. Like you were trying to help improve education across the country and and that didn't change. It's just a matter of how that how you ended up delivering on that. I think that's fascinating. And And as you have kind of evolved into that digital space, the idea of omni-channel is has been around obviously a long time, but being able to activate on it in a way where you're partnering with retailers, but you're also uh, continuing to ten, kind of grow your band, your brand and your base in your digital ecosystem, like you talk about, even with just box tops as one of those examples. Tell me about that that push and pull and, and being able to create kind of an omni-channel capability because we know, as you know, myself included, buying General Mills products, you know, sometimes and many times you're you're doing it through a retailer. How how do you strike that balance between your owned properties and those that you work with on retail? Yeah, it's a great question. And and you said many times, I would tell you, we win through our partners. It is through our retailers. That is our go-to-market strategy. We are always going to keep our retail partners at the center of how we're going to to show up with consumers. And so it is it is really crucial. And I would tell you the to find that balance. And I would tell you the interesting things over time we've evolved, you know, brand teams care about their brand. Retailers care about categories. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, brands are starting to figure out, no, we actually need to grow the category. Retailers are like, yeah, we actually need solutions for the occasion. Right? Like, and so they they tend to be they tend to be a little bit of a step ahead of us, but we're kind of coming together now. And an omni-channel world is allowing us to do that in a much better way than we have before because there is this opportunity to drive solutions online that are kind of hard, hard to pull off in a store environment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, we know how we can put taco shells in the produce aisle, and it allows us to kind of think a little bit more holistically about providing a you know a one-stop shop, or at least the inspiration for that consumer. Right. But you can put a whole bunch of things together in the in the dot-com environment and really allow for inspiration of the meal, inspiration of the recipe, paid off in a in a basket click instantly that allows for much better solutioning and partnership with a retailer on really what they care about. They care about winning the trip and winning the occasion and ultimately inspiring their consumers to build out their basket, not inspiring their consumers to you know buy taco shells. And so it really does allow us to have a different type of a different type of experience that we are really trying to drive solutions together versus individual product sales. I love it. And I think what's also really cool about it, and actually, I failed to mention this off the top, uh, for those that are listening to the show, Jay, Jay and I met at um, an Ignite conference, a CX-based conference here in Cincinnati. He came to town and um, he spoke um, a, a lot about this exact topic. And one of the things that I found interesting that I, I think people listening to the show would love to hear more about is is the the way in which you're able to adapt the, the messaging to meet those customers in the moments. And I think you knowing you know you've got you know, banner ads on websites, people are going to shop on different retailer sites, they're in the store, there's obviously messaging galore. But I, I'm sure as somebody who is certainly focused uh, on the entire messaging strategy digitally and, and in person, 
what a crazy time right now as you talk about technology and being able to kind of shift and adapt and experiment with, you know, the types of messages that work and the types of creative that work. I mean, you're as much about that piece of the puzzle as you are about the technology aspect. Tell me about how you've you've worked with your teams on the creative side to to drive some of those really cool personalized messages. So what we're really shifting our mind mind space to, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a lot of teams talk about this in terms of uh, uh, performance marketing, something something to that effect, digital driven marketing. Some yep. teams all have a language for it. But uh, it's this kind of notion of traditional marketers, and I, I've been a, a brand management, management track here for 20 years, right? Like traditional marketers think in this way, or I think in this way. I need to understand who I'm going to win with. I need to understand the occasion that that person I need to win with on. And then I need to understand the compelling message that I'm going to deliver to win that user, that audience, that occasion. Right. And I pick all those things. I'm a strategy guy. That's what I pick. I do a deep amount of CI research. I understand what's what's going to work. I come in and that's that's kind of my plan on the page. And I take it to my leaders and that's what I shop. Right. Like that's how we are wired. And that's not really the way it works now. Right. The way it works now is us kind of coming back to those teams going, hey, that's still that still logically makes sense. Get the audience, understand the occasion and understand the kind of compelling message that's going to deliver your product benefits to that audience on that occasion. But you only get to pick one of them. You pick one. We take care of the rest. And that's where our team is really starting to try to flex our muscle in and say, we're going to bring you the tools and technology and the capability to handle the other two. And the example of what I what I mean, Nick, right? We you know, we have a brand nature valley. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of make this up on the fly. It's not going to come across perfect. But uh, no, if I'm Nature Valley's brand manager, I'm going to say something like, you know, I want to win with households with kids. And I need that household. I need to win the morning occasion because I tend to, you know, lose my business is a little bit weaker in the morning occasion. And, hey, we have this new recyclable wrapper technology. We're the first to market with it. And it's it's pretty exciting that that's, that's kind of the compelling RTB for our brand. And so let's talk about that message. And that's, that's kind of how I would have done this five years ago. I said, that's the occasion I want to win with is morning breakfast. I want to win with households with kids. And this is the compelling product benefit that I bring to the table right now. And the reality is that doesn't work anymore, right? I would, what I want to do now is push my marketing friends to say, perfect. You want to win with households with kids? Cause that's a gap in your, in your portfolio right now. Awesome. But let me tell you the experimentation that's going to happen, and then I'm going to come back and tell you that the occasion is not is not morning. It's really going to be about after school snack, and I'm going to tell you the message has nothing to do with your damn wrapper. It's going to bring about <laughs> convenience or portability, right? Or tell me you really want to win with the morning occasion, and that's wonderful too. And then I'm going to go run my experimentation. I'm going to have my computers a bunch of creative work, and we're going to personalize this to the place where I'm going to say that's not households with kids. That's 40 age white guys like me, right? You know, like that's, that's what's going to be the audience that that message is going to, re- or that occasion is going to resonate with. And it isn't also on recyclable wrapper. It's on the fact that it's grab and go, whatever that, whatever that compelling RTB is for nature value. Or again, yeah, brand manager, I hear you. You have a new technology. It is recyclability of your wrapper. That's a big, big deal. We love it. Thank you. That's all you get to tell me. I'm going to let the system work again. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you the fact that this is, College students is your target to actually drive that message home. And it's not around morning or afternoon snacking. It's around midnight study breaks. I, whatever that is, like it's going to be allowed for us to have the, the system tell you the two of the three. And the brand team's job is to kind of set the direction, set the purpose of the brand. I want to stand for, you know, satiation or I want to stand for what, whatever that is about, you know, in this case, you know, uh, natural energy. Great. 
that's Nature Valley's mission or their purpose, but we're going to then tell you what audiences win with what messages and with at what occasions, and the computer's going to do that. And that's where we're really trying to, to train, change our mindset as marketers. That's fascinating. And you kind of led me right to the next conversation topic, which was building and organizing teams around that type of a principle. And, you know, you're at a, a pretty big company, to say the least. Uh, and to be able to infuse that sort of a mindset in a time that things are happening so fast in terms of like, you, let alone one brand, you have dozens and dozens and dozens of brands to, to be able to have everybody kind of understand that that's the way that we want to go go do our business. And that's the way we want to impact uh, inevitably how we win with customers. Talk about how over the, the course of your career and as you've, you've kind of grown between different, different roles to where you are now, how you've built the, that environment and organized it in such a way that, that there is that mutual trust where you can go and, and do those things. And the marketers that are on the other side are like, oh, yeah, this works. This makes sense. Tell me about that. Well, so take take that in a couple of ways, Nick. First, the the kind of the experiment the experimentation angle, and, and then the, the multi brand angle. I say the, the the portfolio that we have is an advantage for me in exactly what you described, and the reason it is is because we have so many different brands that are at different uh, maturity levels, are at different understanding levels of digital versus traditional ways of going to market, uh, and and we love to copy success in the building. So the ability to go find a brand that needs some help, that we get to experiment something on, and then we get to run for president when it works, <laughs> is, is doable in a place like ours. It's like we're not betting the farm on anything. We don't, we don't play in one category. So I can experiment on a small cereal brand, or I can experiment on a larger snack brand, or I can experiment in this natural organic space. I have the, I have the flexibility to kind of do that, win with somebody, and then start to champion that, and it, and it sort of spreads in, in, in the building pretty, really quite well. We, we sort of love to compare to each other and we love to one up each other. And once it's win, uh, that happens really quite well. So that that's a bit of the kind of general Mills culture that works in my favor. The other you talked about building team and really trying to get the people's people's heads around this. This, this is as much about change management as it is about any sort of technology build or any sort of new way of thinking. Right. Uh, that whole concept of shifting our marketers to try to understand that computers are going to drive a little bit more of your audience than you are going to drive your brand champion is a change management behavior on how we plan, right? You think about uh, traditional CPGs like us, we, we plan on a still kind of on an annual basis. We all are used to that sort of, hey, we're going to do a big key issues meeting at one point in the year. We're going to learn and assess our business from the last year. We're going to have another huge meeting that's all around our plan for the following year. And we're going to then put that into motion. And then six months later, we're going to start it. And we're going to go back through that cycle again. And well, clearly that doesn't work anymore, right? It's not the way we go to market in an agile way. When we did 30 second ads that ran for six months, fine. When we do this, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work. And so it is a, a really a concerted effort to to build up change management skills in the organization and spend a lot of time on, on, on that, right? On how are we actually upskilling people to have a learning mindset and an agile way of working more so than it's upskill them on this is how you do this. Mm -hmm. um, because this, the how you do this is, is, is you know, we're, I mean, it's exponentially changing. Right. And we can hit on the COVID stuff, but our, I mean, our business our business online tripled in a year and a half, right? I mean, and so to catch up to that type of system and that type of pace of change is, is 
is less about really learning any individual tool or any individual process or any individual way of marketing. It's more about learning how to teach this organization to be nimble. And that's what we spent kind of the last three years doing. Yeah, you hit on COVID and I think that's a, that's a great segue to that, you know, unmistakable crazy time of, of brand and business change. And, you know, I think when you look at the, the CPG industry vertical as a whole, I mean, clearly there was a, a lot of behavior change going on um, by necessity um, as customers were, were kind of locked down. And, but yet there was still the, the unmistakable need to, you know, to eat and, and sustain. Yeah. And, um, and so I think I, as you know, somebody who, you know, certainly buys a lot of General Mills products like that didn't really change when I went into the pandemic, you know, focus group of one. Yet, obviously, you know, being able to choose and get those products easily and, and adaptable to the new environment that we have, you know, the amounts that you would buy potentially, that, that might change. So uh, as somebody who's on the, the business side of uh, what was just a, a re- remarkable shift in customer behavior, take me through uh, just you know, at a general level, you know, how things adapted and how you, you know, kind of pivoted as you needed to in, in the, the, the face of this crazy pandemic that we had a couple years ago. Yeah, there was a, a few a few big things that, that impacted, right? Definitely you hit on the way you fulfill, right? And so our understanding of the digital shelf and our understanding of how to fulfill in that way and understanding of how to make sure our content shows up in the right ways on the digital shelf. We, we were on that journey, but we didn't have the shot in the arm that we needed to really, really get on that journey until until this sort of struck. So that's kind of one aspect I'll hit on. The other aspect is, well, I, I hear you. You don't uh, you don't think you're consuming differently because you have your products that you like. You like your Cheerios or you like your Olo Paso tacos, but uh, you're eating at home three times as much as you are. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not a great number, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I my wife has never had more lunches with me than the last, you know, kind of two, three years in the first 25 years of our marriage. So um, you're, you're, you have that. You have just more occasions that requires more variety, requires all that. So that's kind of the next, you know, kind of the growth and consumption that we were experiencing. And then and supply chain was a nightmare, right? Oh, I mean, we all were dealing with supply chain issues. And so um, really trying to just make sure that our products are available. And I think why General Mills did so well in this window yeah, I think I'm a great marketer. Yeah, I think we figured out the digital shelf. We actually had a really, a really stellar supply chain performance. And if I'm going to give anybody the credit for our performance, it really is our our supply chain team. Because uh, while everyone struggled, I think we we did exceptionally while well. we were at a top tier in in that regard during that 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 window. But I'll use the thing I'm, I'm excited about. What we did at General Mills is we while we saw and we needed to catch up fast. We also did the the play the longer game plan. And here's what I mean by that, right? We had um, we had digital shelf challenges. We didn't have our content publishing perfectly. We didn't even know what content to be creating all the time. It was it was really trying trying to really get an understanding of of hey, here's best in class you know, PDPs. And then here's why that's best in class because it drives search performance and it drives some other things on on the digital shelf. Um, how do we how do we make that happen? And and we had a bunch of pressure in the system from our operating units saying, my content isn't right. I don't have my latest content. I have the wrong imagery. I have whatever in terms of our publication. And I had a lot of pressure to say, well, just go hire 25, 25-year-olds, put them in a room and get this content right. Really, I mean, it should not be that hard. It's something that we can do. And we kind of had the foresight at that time, a couple of years ago, to go, yeah, we can, we can do that. Yep, you can give me three months. I'll have this fixed. Or... We could realize that brand teams are going to want this customized for our, our key retail partners. 
And brand teams are going to want this content varied throughout the year for seasonality reasons, or for performance reasons, or for promotion reasons. And so while, yes, I can probably do that lift today, I'm going to be doing that lift every single quarter, and that isn't sustainable. And, and the, the math here, Nick, right, we have about 2,000 items on a digital shelf and any given retailer. We have about 10 things. If you think about a product detail page, there's about 10 things you populate. I'm using that for rough math because I, I'm, I'm, I have a hard time doing a multiplication in my head. So if you got 2,000 items, about 10 things, you're talking about 20,000 pieces of content that at any given time we need to change. But we want to change that up by our top five to seven retailers because we want to optimize for each individual retailer algorithm. And we want to change it up four to five times a year to make sure we're providing the seasonality or the promotion window. So that 20,000 pieces of content just turned into 500,000 pieces of content. Mm -hmm. And I can't put enough 25-year-olds in a room to make 500,000 content. And so we had to build the system. We had to build the automation that allows us to have our brand team's content come into our damn funnel to our PIM, CSPs pipe it to our digital shelf, the audit capability on the back end to make sure this is actually happening and we can, we're getting the result that we want to get. We had to build that system, and we took we took the energy to build that system, and it's paying off. It's paying off for us now. And and as we talked about uh, the other versioning of Creative, we talked about the performance marketing. Mm -hmm. The next place we're going to start to plug that concept, that system into, is what we would call our performance marketing. Same concept is going to happen on content. We used to make one big TV ad for a brand for six months. Right now, I'm making thousands of banner ads, thousands of social videos, thousands of other pieces of content. Same concept applies. I need some way to make dynamic content and pipe it in in a way that's automated and not in a way that I'm going to put a bunch of people in a room and think that this can get spit out manually because it's just the velocity is too high. Isn't it crazy, though? I mean, I was talking to a couple of colleagues over the last couple of episodes on on just the, the, the rate of change and how how much more nimble that you can be even from one year to the, to the last. I mean, you think about even when you were starting this journey in COVID. To, to how things have adapted. And then you bring in things like AI where, you know, chat GPT is obviously the big buzzy buzzword right now in the AI space. But I think just the general premise of being able to, to use machines to be significantly smarter and faster, like that's got to just excite the hell out of you, doesn't it? it, it it's excites and intimidates. I'd say on both sides. <laughs> I, you know, like I said, I'm traditional brand management here. That's the track I was on. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd never heard of the word tech stack before a couple of years ago, right? I mean, it is all I knew right now is to really model out what all the tech stack that we have as General Mills to do the activities marketers want to do and make sure that we are using the best partners in the in the world to kind of get after what we're we're trying to accomplish. I have never thought in my life that I would spend this much time with our, our data and technology organization or really going deep and really understanding MarTech and ad tech. I just it, it just was not in my wheelhouse. Um, but it's it's energizing. If you're point, it is, it is exciting. This is where you can start to see how stuff is going to be done in the future. We got to get the organization there. And that's where I shared, you know, minutes ago of our, our role over the last couple of years was getting the org ready to handle change, less than it's the org ready to understand right. how to apply AI. Yep, because AI is today, Web three is tomorrow. All this stuff, all that stuff is going to come at us, and it's the org has to be able to handle how do we. How do we market in that world? Not, not how do we understand each of those tools? It's fascinating. I could talk with you for hours on this stuff. Um, before we wrap, though, I, as listeners to this podcast will know, we kind of wrap the show up with some fun facts about our guests. And I know the one thing that you and I bonded on pretty quickly. You know, you're you're from from the uh, you know upper upper Midwest and and 
we talked hockey almost immediately. We were talking about hockey, and it turns yeah. out that you are uh, you're a hockey dad, and you are certainly, uh, as anybody who is uh, a hockey family will know, that means lots of travel. That means lots of time spent at these cold arenas, and obviously being in uh, <laughs> in Minnesota, that's it's not a surprise for anybody up there. But those that are, are listening. Jay, your your son is an active high school player, and talk about uh, how as much time that you're spending, you know, thinking about creative commerce, you're also probably thinking about hockey, especially at the end of a season like you are right now. Yeah, well, I will tell you, uh, I, I probably shouldn't be saying this not, yeah, on air, but uh, I am pretty worthless this week. It is uh, it is state tourney week, and if, yeah. if anybody's in Minnesota or has ever heard of the Minnesota State High School hockey tournament, it is it's uh, it's a big deal for the kids, and I, I'm spoiled that my my uh, oldest son got to play in it last year, and, and the, he uh, is going back for uh, round two this year, so hopefully we have a little better result. But uh, state tournament starts on Thursday, which is, is a ton of fun, and uh, we're looking forward to that. But you're, you're right. I, I spent a lot of time in rinks. I, I used to <laughs> coach all of my, my, my boys and my daughter. Uh, I, have, I have two boys and a girl. And uh, uh, they, they all quickly got beyond my coaching abilities by about uh, <laughs> first-year peewee year, which is like, 12 um but uh uh it, it is it is fun and uh, we're, we're spoiled that uh, the boys boys still play my daughter has moved on to volleyball and acting but uh i have a, a senior that hopefully finishes his, his season with a state title and then i have a, a, a freshman that's also uh actually also in the state tournament for for bams in a couple of weeks so it, it'll be a couple of weeks of hockey and not a whole lot of work but that's all right that's all right we'll you, you, you earn it uh, well and after all those hours of practice and even years of prepping all of the coaching during peewee and might hockey has, has paid off you were you were uh, taking them uh taking them to the state title to give us a scouting report do you think that i mean here we are that we're recording this podcast on march the 7th how are we feeling going into the tourney <laughs> as everybody's good in the tourney uh I, I i i we you know what nick last year we lost in the championship in overtime actually two overtime so oh, we have a little bit of work to kind of get back to there i <laughs> I, I, we're going to do just fine. That's about as good as I'm going to be able to, to prognosticate. But uh, it's it's a great week. The boys uh, all get really spoiled during this week. And uh, all the you know eight teams that get to participate, it's a pretty cool experience. So cool. Good luck and uh, keep us updated on, on how it goes. And thanks again for, for making the time to do this. We're really excited to be able to chat with you. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thanks a lot. Love it, Nick. Thank you. And thanks to you all for listening to Human Centered as well. To learn more about our CX practice and our approach to the work, check us out online at dmlyr.com slash CX. We'd also love to hear your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and more. Have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line? You can connect with me on Twitter at Nick Brunker or just shoot us an email. The address is humancentered at dmlyr.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.